Welcome to the Healthy Hair Podcast. Your host, Dr. Amy Brenner, is a board-certified OBGYN with additional certifications in functional and integrative medicine. This podcast is meant to help women find reliable, relevant information to help them feel better, look better, and live better. Here, you will hear in-depth information about hormones, sexual medicine, aesthetics, cosmetic gynecology, and functional medicine. Welcome to another episode of Healthy Her. I'm Dr. Amy Brenner, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about beauty below the belt. Uh, My special guest is Stephanie Green, who I'm uh, pleased to uh, say that uh, Stephanie has worked with me for 15 years. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. So, Stephanie, you've done a lot in our practice at Amy Brenner MD and Associates uh, over the past decade. Uh, If you just want to give a little overview of uh, what you've done in the practice and now what your main role is in the practice. Yeah, and I can honestly say I do feel like I have done a little bit of everything here. It kind of started out as just rooming patients and, you know, seeing seeing GYN patients. Um, and it kind of transitioned into doing in-office surgeries with Dr. Brenner. Um, it also transitioned into doing research studies um, here at the office, getting into aesthetics, Botox, filler. Um, but now what I do almost on a daily basis, uh, well, no, not almost actually, on a daily basis um, or help all of our cosmetic gynecology patients. So for the average listener, um, people probably don't even know what cosmetic gynecology is. So what what does that even mean just in general? And if you could just list some of the procedures that we do. Sure, absolutely. Um, cosmetic gynecology is kind of exactly what the title of this podcast means is beauty below the belt. Um, Probably the most common procedure that we offer is going to be a labiaplasty with a clitoral hood reduction. Um, And when I say labiaplasty, it's the labia minora, um, which are the kind of the inner lips, which are the ones that usually are uncomfortable when riding a bike or stick out in like jeans or swimsuits or yoga pants, um, things like that. Uh, there's also a labia majora plasty, which are kind of the outer, bigger, fuller lips. Um, we do vaginoplasties, which is um, tightening the internal um, internal components of the vagina to kind of make intimacy a little, feel a little bit more better. Um, and then anal skin tags, which are stubborn little tags that just kind of are not very cosmetically pleasing. Um, so we do, we do lots of different services. So you mentioned that sometimes people have symptoms where, uh, uh, intimacy isn't as fulfilling anymore after you typically after childbirth or the labia fall out of uh, clothes or get in the way with intercourse. But uh, you also mentioned that it's cosmetic. And so sometimes that is a discussion of is this uh, a medical procedure or is this a cosmetic procedure or can we get it covered by insurance? Yeah, it's it's everyone. Uh, for the, oh gosh, scratch that. Okay. Um, everyone is normal down there. It's just kind of a matter of what your preference is. And it's very similar to like boob size. Some people like small boobs, some people like big boobs. Um, same thing with the tissues. Some people like a little bit of tissue. Some people like no tissue down there. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that's something that when I first uh, examine people, uh, people, a lot of women ask the question is, is this even normal? And my answer is exactly, exactly what you just said, Stephanie, is it is normal. And labia come in all shapes and sizes, uh, kind of just like you mentioned, such as breast size, nose size. But it doesn't mean that it's um, cosmetic. It might not be what the cosmetic outcome that you want to have. So just like noses and breast, uh, labia or uh, cosmetic gynecology is a rapidly evolving field of aesthetic medicine. But you're absolutely right, is uh, almost all of uh, the patients that we see, not everybody, uh, do have uh, what we would consider a normal variation of labia, but they might just not like the way it looks. So uh, unfortunately, for most situations, this is not a covered service um, from insurance companies. So um, we, you mentioned that labiaplasty minora uh, with a clitoral hood reduction is probably the most common uh, surgery that we do uh, as it relates to cosmetic gynecology. People probably don't even don't know what a clitoral hood. Uh, reduction is for and why you need to do that. If you can just elaborate on what the clitoral hood tissue is for patients. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's good to clarify because when, as soon as you say uh, clitoral hood, people, I think are like, oh my gosh, no, don't touch my clitoris. Like that's, that's not the problem. (laughs) And that is not at all what we're doing, not touching the clitoris, but the skin that lays over top or kind of hoods over the clitoris, um, usually nine times out of 10 um, has excess tissue there. Not, like I said, not everybody, but usually that is the case. And because the clitoral hood, for the most part, pretty much almost attaches to the labia minora, um, if you reduce the, the tissue size of the labia minora, if you don't think to look at the clitoral hood and and treat the clitoral hood, it could stick out like a sore thumb and not look Mm -hmm. very aesthetically pleasing after you have this nice, beautiful labia minora. And, you know, doing these surgeries, it's kind of something you only want to do one time and you don't want to have to go through the recovery of this two times. So it is usually... You and I have noticed that uh, when people go to somebody who is not a cosmetic gynecologist, that's probably the the number one thing we see is uh, where maybe plastic surgeons or um, people that don't have specialty training where they don't address the clitoral hood. And so people come to us for revisions and it usually involves that they didn't address the clitoral hood and it just has a top heavy kind of experience kind of look or or the labia themselves have a, a dog ear appearance because the the frenulum, which is the area of the labia minora that kind of anchors into the clitoris, uh, wasn't addressed. So yeah, we have I think- seen that a few times and definitely kind of, I think, you know, and I've asked those patients like, hey, why haven't, you know, did they not ask if you wanted to have this procedure done? They're like, oh no, that wasn't a thing. They don't, they don't offer that. They only offered the labia minora. And I, that's why I'm here getting it fixed. Yeah. I think uh, maybe just in general, some, some 
physicians, maybe plastic surgeons are, you know, afraid to go near the clitoris. But, you know, just like you mentioned is it's really we're not touching the clitoris. We're not operating on the clitoris. We're literally just taking this that excess skin that's surrounding the clitoris um, that removing it uh, eliminates that top heavy appearance or uh, gets rid of that excess bunching in that anterior clitoral hood area. Yeah, and it definitely makes a big, big difference in the outcome. And aesthetically, it is just absolutely beautiful when you pay attention to both of those areas. Um, It's just, it really makes a big difference. What are people, because you're usually the first uh, site or first person uh, people uh, contact when they reach out to our office. And what are the common questions or what are people saying to you on the phone or via email before they even come in to see me for a consult? Yeah, so I guess that kind of depends. We treat a lot of patients from out of town, um, definitely a lot of patients from in town. But usually I like to find out first where they live and kind of that that background. But I would say probably, honestly, the most first conversation or first question is what's the cost? You know, they don't want to make the trip out here um, or set up the arrangements if it's not even something in their price range. So price is probably the number one question. But then honestly, once they're kind of at that point, they just want to know kind of the process of what they're looking at from start to finish. So I absolutely love doing this with patients and being the first contact because of hearing the story of why they're doing it and just getting everything set up and making the process easy for them because 99% of the time people have been researching these surgeries for three to five years. And I've even had some people saying 15 years they've been thinking about this and finally, you know, helping them make this process as easy as possible is is really awesome. So I love being the first point of contact. Yeah. And you do such a great job. People are so comfortable um, and they almost feel like we're, they're, their friends, if you will, oh, um, yeah, after, after we People spend like, so much so much time with them uh, in the pre-op and then yeah. during the procedure and 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 during the post-op and uh, you really get really, to know them personally yeah. on a personal level and I mean there have been people of just having one phone conversation with them not even talking to you yet or you know setting up the consult with you Dr. Brenner they're like oh my gosh I just she's meant to do my surgery I just know this <laughs> and I just love I love hearing that I just love making people feel so comfortable even before they even step foot in this office or talk to you. Yeah. Some people are really uncomfortable about uh, talking about this and embarrassed. And uh, I know you do a really good job of uh, just making people feel comfortable uh, of talking about something that's so private. Yeah, I think it's super important to feel comfortable with the location you choose to have an intimate surgery like this. You know, you brought up a good point is people, uh, one of the one of the most important questions that people ask is, is the price. Uh, and one of the things that we've perfected in our office is doing these procedures under local. And the benefit of doing that is we're actually able to keep the cost reasonable because we're not bringing people to the operating room where people are paying for the anesthesia the hospital facility. So do people, um, so it's anyway, it's a lot less uh, expensive because we're able to do this in our office. Does that freak anybody out that they're going to be awake during this procedure when you explain that to them in the process? Yeah, I think 
only probably less than a handful of times people are kind of questioned like, wait, you, you, you do this like in your office and in a room kind of just like this. And once you explain it to people and, and realize like really kind of break it down of like, and honestly being able to tell people we've never had someone uncomfortable in the office doing it and then just explaining the process of all the things that we have um, to make them comfortable. They're kind of like, okay, all right. And out out of those few hesitant people afterwards, I always ask them of like, so what'd you think of doing this in the office? And they're like, I cannot believe I even worried about it. This was so comfortable. I am, I totally kind of overthought that. And no one has ever said to me that they were like, oh no, I wish I would have done this in the hospital ever. Right. Uh, I think people have realized that the anticipation of it is probably Mm -hmm. the worst thing. But most people, not everybody, most people do uh, opt to take some medications to kind of take the edge off. Uh, uh, We offer uh, giving something like Xanax to, you know, take that pre-procedural anxiety away as well as some uh, pain medication. So most most people are actually sleeping uh, during the majority of the procedure, but you're right. Uh, uh, after it's over, people are really glad that they did this in an office setting rather than the than the hospital. Um, you mentioned that uh, uh, these patients are just so grateful, and you would never think that doing aesthetics would just give you a lot of joy of uh, being in the medical field. But can you just talk about like how we've just change so many people's lives of uh, doing this, just the emotional aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, the first story that pops in my mind was um, someone that got made fun of in her middle school locker room. And she was in her thirties at the point of, by time we, you know, actually she got the nerve to come do the surgery and she had been thinking about this for over 15 years. And it just breaks my heart thinking about back to middle school and something weighing on you for that long and being that upset about it and just changing their life around is, is so rewarding, but that is not the only story that, that I hear it. Absolutely. Every, I mean, almost every single person has thought about this for so long or had a significant experience in their life that they were kind of like made them look into doing these procedures and then researching online for the years and years and years. And they say, I don't know, I just came across your page and I, you know, just felt so comfortable. And, you know, it takes a lot for me to reach out and talk about this, but, you know, I'm finally making that leap. And, then just following through the whole process and, you know, the full recovery. And then at that final conversation of showing them the before and afters and just like seeing their emotion on their face. And it's just so rewarding to be able to help people in such a intimate procedure. I just absolutely love doing from start to finish, love doing these, these procedures and, and being with, there with the patient. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, it has really become probably the most favorite, my, one of my most favorite things that I do in practice now. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, just the emotional satisfaction we get from helping these women. Um, so that's really important to me. Also, just uh, 
just the creativity part of me. I feel like uh, kind of like an artist of when I'm done with a surgery of look what I created. And it's something that, you know, I'm so proud of. Um, uh, and also just the the technical part of it. Um, it certainly is a, a learning curve uh, and not something that uh, the skills that I have now of what I was ever trained for in residency. Certainly, I've been doing vaginal or, and vulvar work uh, since residency. Uh, but the aesthetic techniques are something that, you know, continue to evolve. And uh, even just last week, I returned from a meeting. So uh, for me, there's just so many aspects of professional satisfaction from the the technical part of it, of learning new skills, as well as the emotional aspect of it, of helping these women with something that's uh, a, a really sensitive matter. Yeah, I think that's probably one of our favorite parts is when we're reviewing the the before and after pictures and get them all like side by side of you being like, wow, you know, like that's that's just amazing. That's got to feel very good on your end of it of like, look, you know, look what I created, but look also how good I made this this these women feel. Yes. Well, thank you, Stephanie, for uh, joining us. And uh, I hope our listeners got to hear a little bit of something we do at Amy Brenner, MD and Associates, as we are uh, trying to achieve some uh, more beauty below the belt. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Her. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook and the web. Go to www dramybrenner.com to learn more. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute as medical advice, the practice of medicine, nursing or other healthcare services. No patient-physician relationship is formed. The information in the podcast and any references, material or links are at the sole discretion of the listener and not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical issues or diagnoses that they may have and should seek medical advice from their healthcare provider for any such conditions.